We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. I've taught most of the New Testament. I think um, maybe just a couple of books left, and so we save this for the last. So I don't want you to think that this is something that I just kind of zoom-lined towards. I knew it was in here, and uh, one of the beautiful things is the conviction that's been given to me is just to be able to teach through the Bible. And so we don't talk about money a lot, but when we come to it, we got to understand uh, what the Bible teaches because that's something that we deal with every day, don't we? We all have a little bit of money, and the question is, you know, you know, what do we do with it? For us here in America, it's a challenge because we're very materialistic, and I think we tend to be a selfish society. Um, and so there's a lot of changing, I think, that needs to take place. It was kind of funny. This morning, I, I was putting on my contact lenses. I have contact lenses that I'm supposed to change every day, but I don't. I sleep with them, and, and, I, and I usually change them every Sunday, every week, okay? And so anyways, this morning I'm putting on my contact lens, and uh, it's all blurry. I'm all, man, this is weird. And, and so I took it off. I double-checked it was the right eye, and sure enough, it was. I put it back, and just really, really blurry. And so I, I took it out, and I was like, what's up? And then I finally realized that my other contact lens was still on there. <laughs> And so <laughs> I was putting it over that one. And, and the Lord just kind of, you know how I'm weird and I'm always thinking of illustrations. And the Lord was just saying, you know, Manny, that's kind of how it is for us as Christians. You got to put off the old man before you can put on the new man. You know, you got to get rid of some type of thinking, the worldly thinking, the mentality that we have that we don't even realize that we possess. It really needs to to die and so that God can do a new work, especially in this area of, of finances, the financial stewardship. You know, I, I believe that we're stewards of a lot of things. We're stewards of uh, the talents or gifts that we have. We're stewards of the temple or our body that we've been given. We're stewards of the, uh, stewards of the time, you know, that we have in life. Uh, we're stewards, I believe, of our family. There's a lot of things that we're going to give an account for. But probably one of the ones that are most clear in the Bible is the stewardship of truth, which is the gospel, and the stewardship of treasure, which is money. And so, um, you know, this morning's study, we're going to get into that. We're going to be here for a couple of uh, chapters. I'm not sure how long we'll, it'll take. Um, but, you know, I think we need a little bit of background before we dive into it. Here in 2 Corinthians 8, it's important to know that about a year prior to writing this uh, letter, the Corinthians had pledged, they had promised to give an offering for the poor Christians who were in Jerusalem. And so there in chapter 16, we'll get there in a second, they promised to give and they kind of started the whole process of giving, but they hadn't completed it. And so it's something about a year earlier that they hadn't finished. And so that's a long time if you think about it. I'll look at a few verses here in, in verse 6 of chapter 8. So we urged... Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And so it's something they had started, but they hadn't finished it. If you look at verse 10 of this chapter, it says, And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, 
Uh, so, so this is something that they began a, a year ago. If you go over to chapter 9 in verse 1, he says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. And so something they began a year ago, but they hadn't completed. They, they wanted to do it, but it just really, the intentions never really moved to actions. Uh, I think it's important also if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, to read the first four verses here, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Um, but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And so, you see, it's something that began uh, a while back. First um, Corinthians was written during Paul's third missionary journey from Ephesus. Now, Second Corinthians is written from Macedonia. And we're going to see how all this fits together like a puzzle. If you study the life of Paul, you'll see uh, a lot of people like to divide it up into his uh, missionary journeys. And so this was something that he did during his third missionary journey. And uh, just to clarify, just to make it crystal clear, if you're wondering who these saints are that he's speaking about, it's made clear in his next letter that he would write. The, the next letter after this would be Romans. And if you read Romans chapter 15, verse 26, it says, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor, among the saints who are in Jerusalem. And so during his third missionary journey, he's taken a, a collection from Galatia and Asia and um, Macedonia. Now he's hoping from Achaia, which is where Corinth is located in the southern portion of Greece. And he's, he's receiving a collection to take to the, the poor Christians who are in Jerusalem. You know, Paul had experienced this early on in his ministry in Acts chapter 11. You can read it later, verses 27 through 30, when they took and they uh, an offering there to Jerusalem from the church in Antioch. And here he is, happy to do it again. As a matter of fact, it's a large part of his ministry. Uh, that was his anchor. That was, you know, part of what he did. Other than sharing the gospel, he would really share uh, financially, uh, financially and tangibly with the poor. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, when he had ministered to the guys over there in Jerusalem, and Peter, James, and John, the pillars of the church, he says, hey, are you guys okay with my ministry? And they said, yeah, we sure are, as long as you don't forget the poor. You can read that in Galatians 2, 9 through 10. And so we need to have the same heart, you guys. I don't know when was the last time you gave to the poor, you know, but this is a, it's got to be a big part of our heart. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Jesus uh, cared about the poor. He didn't have a lot of money, but he gave to the poor. According to John thirteen twenty nine, they had a money box where they would give to the poor. And he said in John chapter 12, verse 8, that we would always have poor people so that we would always be able to help them, okay? 
And so, you know, for us, you guys, just coming here today, when, when we read it, I pray it will be a stimulation to us to have that same motivation. When we get to that heart to give to the needy, it's really the grace of God that begins to work inside of us. And we will be blessed as, as people who give. How many of you want, want to be blessed? You want to be super blessed. I mean, the Bible says it is more blessed. You want to be blessed? You want to be more blessed? It is more blessed to give than to receive. We're going to see that in our study. And I tell you what, you'll see it in life. You will. Some of you here, you already have a heart to give. And, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, man. How, how it feels right because it, because it is right. But a lot of times what ends up happening is we get, kind of get buried in what we call bills for things that we maybe don't really need. And next thing you know, there's nothing left to give. Why? Because we bought into the American materialistic mentality that is not biblical. We've been conformed to this world. And so, oh no, God can use this study uh, to change our hearts. Uh, Victor Hugo said, as the purse is emptied, the heart is filled. I like that. One guy said that man may last, but never lives, who much receives, but never gives. And then Sir Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, and we make a life by what we give. You never forget that. And so... Uh, Look what we read here in verse 1. Paul said, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Here in verse 1, Paul says, we make known to you. In other words, we, we draw your attention to what has happened in the churches of Macedonia. He says there in verse 1, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. You see, God had apparently given the churches of Macedonia kind of like what I would call a double dose of grace. It was beyond mere salvation. Uh, the Greek language tells us that God supplied them with that grace. God furnished them with this sort of special grace in Macedonia, which would be uh, north of Corinth, the northern section of Greece. And it would include the churches like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And so, you know, when they had the grace, it's interesting, it didn't mean that they weren't going to go through trials. It didn't mean that they didn't go through trials. We read that there in verse 2. It tells us that they actually went through a great trial of affliction. It was a terribly tough time of testing for them. That, that word right there for affliction, it speaks of uh, pressure, pressing together. It's oppression, it's a tribulation. It, it, it's something that happens in life that proves who we really are. It's those times of testing that are so difficult, but they reveal what we're made of, if we're really strong Christians or not. 
Verse 2 specifically describes their struggles in that they were also financial. Notice again there in verse 2 that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Their deep poverty. The Greek language here means, and this is a real interesting word, it means they hit rock bottom financially. They reach the lowest stage to the point of possibly starving. I know it sounds crazy, but this is where the church was in Macedonia. You know, if you study history, you'll find that they were originally a pretty wealthy section, but the Romans had come in and they had plundered their gold and silver mines. Not only that, once they became Christians, just like the Jews in Jerusalem, they were ostracized and they suffered that, you know, um, that, that, you know, mentality that says we're not going to go, you know, to and support these guys and their businesses. We're not going to hire them because they're Christians. They're weird. And so, you know, this is where they were. They were devastated. You know, the word here describes abject poverty, which essentially has nothing and is in imminent danger of complete starvation. And so, you know, imagine that. You know, you're, you're there under that type of pressure. You're there under that type of poverty. Now, some of you here, you're struggling financially. You're struggling financially. Has it drawn you closer to the Lord or farther? Are you going to serve Him more or less? These are the types of tough times that people lose heart in. You know, they split, they quit, they give up on God, or they get down on life. It's the D word called depression, and it's common nowadays, or we're not going to serve the Lord anymore because I need more. Is that your heart? You're being tested. This is who you really are. But notice a, a couple of things there in verse 2. These guys were cool, man. That in a great trial of affliction, notice the abundance of their joy. You know, in those tough times, they did what all Christians are called to do, and that is, man, you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. They kept their eyes on him, and, you know, Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit who gives us joy. And you, and you realize, you come back to the biblical perspective, you know, all the things that we're going through, Romans 8.28 says it all works together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose, right? I mean, we know the command of James 1.2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance you guys i, I want to encourage you to learn uh, from the example of the macedonians who were they were going through tremendous pressure and poverty and you know they hit rock bottom but they didn't lose their joy there was an abundance of joy in their life it's interesting the church in thessalonica which is part of the macedonian region was commended by Paul for this in his first letter written to them. He said in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy. There it is again. Of the Holy Spirit. Now we need to learn from these examples. And you guys remember the words of Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord is 
your strength. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy. Don't, because God loves you. God's working this out. God has a plan. Even in the pressure and even in the poverty, even in the difficulty. You know, he knows that if you have all that money, you just need filet mignon. He knows it. He says, hey, man, you just need some romaine lettuce, a couple of tomatoes, and carrots. Try it. <laughs> you know? I mean, his joy will be your strength. And I just think it's so cool how out of the trials came joy, out of their poverty came generosity. And we read there in verse 3 that Paul bears witness that they gave, right? Not, not just according to their ability, but beyond their ability, Look again, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. I mean, this is awesome. This is not just special. This is not just typical. This is supernatural. We read in Acts 11.29, it says, Then the disciples each, according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And then that's commendable, right? But here we see the church growing spiritually so that they went beyond their ability. And one translation puts it this way, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. That's the testimony of the church in Macedonia. And I, and I just wonder, how do you do that? How can you give more than you can afford? And the answer is you give by faith. You give by obedience. Um, each one has to give according to what you purpose in your heart. And God will lay things on your heart. And when he tells you to give beyond what you can afford, then I, I promise you, man, he will bless you. I mean, I've heard story after story I remember one time there was this a friend of mine, he was working on his car, and uh, just different things were going on, having a hard time, and, uh, and they had $5 left, $5 left. And, you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of people, they live paycheck to paycheck. I wonder if there's anyone here like that. You know, it's really bad when you get paid, and then the next day you're wondering when you get paid again, you know? <laughs> you're like, let me look at the calendar. <laughs> And so this guy was like that. He had five dollars left. And, you know, wife, what should we do? He said, give it to the Lord. What? I mean, this is our last five dollars. Give it to the Lord. This is what God's laying on my heart. Next thing you know, boom, check in the, in the mail. God provided. God is able. I'm not saying it's always going to happen like that. Maybe he wants you to fast a few days. I don't know, you know. But you just do what he calls you to do. You do it by faith. You give you know, supernaturally. And you watch what God will do. You know, uh, these guys, uh, they gave till it hurt, right? They gave sacrificially. And I just think it's a great example, especially for us in the Western world. C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, charity, giving to the poor, is an essential part of Christian morality, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because other charitable expenditures exclude them. 
You see, I think we live in a world where we give God our leftovers after we get everything we want. And that's dangerous because one day you're going to have to give an account to all of it before God, right? Remember, man calculates the sum, God calculates the sacrifice. I think it's important for us to know that we have a beautiful illustration in Mark chapter 12. If you want to turn there, And I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story. It says in Mark 12 and verse 41, Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself. He was, hey guys, give me to talk to you about this, right? <laughs> And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all out of their abundance, they put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You see, and that's that's trip. When you look at it, you see Jesus sees. I remember in the book of Acts, the Bible says that the alms of Cornelius, they kind of rose before the Lord. He sees everything that we give. And there's this poor widow. She gives a penny. You know, she gives a penny. And, and these other guys, they're putting in hundreds of dollars and perhaps even thousands of dollars. And the Lord calls his disciples over and says, hey, I just want you guys to know something that in God's calculator, who calculates the sacrifice and not the sum... This poor widow gave in more than these others who gave, what, out of their abundance. I mean, to give everything you have, to give all your livelihood, I would never counsel you to do that as a financial advisor or even as a pastor. You know, I would probably say, hey, you got to have a savings account. You know, I think that they say for six months just in case and you got to have a retirement plan and all that kind of stuff, you know, but... But God might might one day say no. Because you're trusting in that. You're trusting in your savings account. You're trusting in your whatever, retirement. So I, I would never say that to you. And if someone tells you that, some other guy tells you that, I think they're probably going beyond their, their parameters as a spiritual friend or leader, counselor. But if God tells you to, you better listen. And I tell you what, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, it's living by faith. Someone might ask, well, come on, what difference uh, could uh, two mites make? Uh, what difference would my $5 make, my last $5? What difference would my penny make? Uh, I, I, I came across a story uh, many years ago, a true story. Uh, a woman was preparing a box to be sent to some missionaries in India, and a little boy gave her a penny. And so what she did with that penny is she went and she purchased an extra track, a different track, and she put it in the box. So eventually this particular track reached a Burmese chief, and that track was used to lead him to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he was saved. 
And the chief told the story of his conversion to his friends, and then they began to get saved, and many of them believed. Eventually, this whole movement led to a church being established there, and at the time of the writing, there were over 1,500 natives who had been converted to Christianity, all because that little boy gave a penny so that they could buy that extra track that would reach this man. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the heart in which it was given. That's the key. That's the key. You see, and for us, we got to have the same heart. You know, the Jews knew this, and, and they still know this. Um, William Barclay, he said that at the Jewish Feast of Purim, there is a, a regulation, and I like it. It says this, that however poor a man is, on this holiday, he must find someone poorer than himself and, and give him a gift. It's not always those who are most wealthy who are most generous. Often those who have the least to give are the most ready to give. Uh, I think there's a saying, it's a common saying that says, it's the poor who help the poor. Why? Because they know what poverty is. You know, and I know you guys, uh, you know, you, you probably see people who are poor. and you, For us it's tough. You wonder, are they being good stewards? Are they going to take my $5 and buy some drugs or drinks and you know, there's a challenge there, but don't let that stop you. Um, there are people out there who need help. Uh, as a matter of fact, even in the world that we live in, sources tell us that half the world lives on $2.50 a day. And you guys probably knew this about uh, every, they say every day, every day, 21,000 children die from starvation or starvation causes. And then there's these ministries. It's, it's a Christian ministry, you know, feed the hungry. Have you ever given to them? I mean, there are people here, we're learning about this guy that's been living over there at the 99 cent store, and I think God's stirring us up to help him. I mean, you know, widows that, that just can't make ends meet, living on fixed incomes, and God says, hey, I want you to give them a food card and maybe pay a utility bill, this guy that just got laid off. There are people that are struggling, and God... You know, he leads us if we're listening. See, this was a situation with the Christians in Jerusalem. And although the Macedonians had hit rock bottom, financially they were determined to give to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Uh, we read something important there in verse 3 that they were freely, notice again back in, in 2 Corinthians, that, that they were freely willing they were freely willing. You see, it was voluntary. It was their free will, a choice. Apparently, God, by his grace, he stirred them up in their hearts. And, you know, that, that, that willing heart is so important. If you, if you don't have the willing heart, don't give. Like, oh, man, he's talking about giving today. He's probably going to give us an opportunity, you know, to, to give and... <laughs> Keep it. Go buy a hamburger and choke on it. Okay? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the only reason I'm saying that, not that I'm trying to be mean, but it's just that it won't do you any good. I remember a, a true story, true story. Uh, Billy Graham, one day he was up and he was guest speaking somewhere at a church. And uh, he's actually, they were up on the platform. And he was surprised when they were passing around the, the basket to give. 
that they actually came up to Billy Graham. And he was, oh, okay. So he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a bill to give and, uh, and he thought he thought it was a $1 bill, right? It, it, it turned out to be a $10 bill and that was all he had. And so afterwards he was telling Ruth, I can't believe it. I ended up giving 10 instead of one and they didn't even give me an honorarium. That's what he said. And so Billy's all, well, at least we get a reward in heaven. And she's all, well, yeah, but she only get a reward for $1, just to let you know, because that was, you know, <laughs> that was your heart, right? And so the attitude, I think, is powerful. I really believe that that little boy, because he gave everything that he had and he gave with a heart of just love, that's why it went so far. We have to have that same heart. We have to learn these guys that are freely willing to give, Right? I mean, it's the same attitude we read about back in the book of Exodus at the building of the tabernacle. It says in 35, 21 and 22 and 29, then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering as many as had a willing heart. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. You know, it's so cool when God works in people's heart like that. You know, and the same thing happened when they were providing uh, God was providing through the people in the building of the temple. We read about that in First Chronicles 29, 5 through 6. And, and it's and it so cool, even to the point of, look at verse 4, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I mean, it wasn't just willingly. It was beyond that. They actually were like begging to be a part of this. They were begging to be a part of this. It's almost as if Paul, you know, was aware of their poverty, didn't want to receive an offering from the poor Macedonian church, right? Because they didn't have the money, and he knew it. I would never ask these guys. But they found out about the need. They found out about the collection that the Corinthians had actually thought of. And they heard it through the grace fund. They said, we want to give. He said, no, you guys don't give. You don't have the finances to give. But they begged him. They said, please, take our gift. Because we're giving it to God. They begged. They pushed. They pleaded. They insisted for him to receive the gift on behalf of the poor. And so it was done uh, spontaneously, it was done with urgency. And right here, the, the word translated gift is the word grace. And I just think that when you know, when you start, when you have that heart to give, it's because the grace of God has been poured out on your life and you've experienced it. And He's actually given you the, the honor and the privilege to be part of that gift that he would use. And so, you know, I, I hope we see it that way. And one guy said this, be grateful to the beggar. He gives you the chance to do good. A lot of times we're not grateful for the beggar. We'll go like the other entrance, you know. And God is just saying, this is an opportunity for you. You know, this type of giving is called grace. It's it's called fellowship, and we need to see fellowship that way. Like it says right here, the, the fellowship, the ministering to the saints. I mean, usually when we think of fellowship, what do we think of two Christians getting together talking about Christian things? And that's cool. But sometimes I think there's just a lot of talk. And that's what was going on in Corinth. They had started a year later, I mean a year earlier, just talk. 
And how many people die with good intentions? Because it never was translated into actions. Fellowship includes more than just talk. It, it talks about being a part of, being in common with a community of other Christians, sharing for the purpose of loving God. It's ministering. And right here, the ministry is giving what we can to help them meet the needs of others by either collecting or distributing charities. You know, not that we get a Bentley for the pastor. <laughs> Maybe a Dodge Charger, but no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, man, not a jet for the pastor. But we get what those poor people need. Maybe a car for our missionaries. The Lord will show you. See, the Macedonians were so cool. And I don't know about you, but I'm blessed by them learning this. But, but even more so, look at verse 5. It says, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You know, and Paul here says it was more than what we expected. They went beyond our expectations. They they didn't just give their cash. They they gave themselves to the Lord, and you know that that's another thing. I mean, it's I I want to encourage you to give uh, generously, but I do know some people that they think just by giving to that charity, um, that they've finished the work, and and I think that it's cool to read this that you also have to give yourself. And that's where that this whole thing started, right? They they gave themselves. You know, of course, at the end of the day, this is the only way anyone could possibly give to the Lord beyond their ability when out of trials flow joy, out of poverty flows generosity. I mean, when a person has truly given themselves to the Lord, then these things are possible. When God works, this type of stuff, it really happens. What we do is we transfer ownership of ourself to God, Right? I like this prophecy in Isaiah 44. It's kind of cool. It says in verse 3 through 5, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. I love that. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. And this, the blessing is going to be this, because one will say, I am the Lord's. I love that. That's the blessing when they grow up and they say, I am I'm the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. You see, we've got to give ourselves to, to God. Romans 6.13 commands us to present ourselves to God. Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Romans 14.8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Some people, they, they say, Well, I come and I give 10%, and, uh, and the 90% is mine. Okay, And I just you know, want to share with you that if that's your mentality, one day when you stand before God, 
you won't be rewarded. You will lose the reward because it's all God's. You know, and again, I'm not trying to, to get money from you guys, okay? Uh, we don't talk about this a whole lot, but I, I will say this, that 10% is a good place to start. I mean, that's like training wheels. You're learning how to ride a bike. It's a good place to start. You know, um, and not only that, you have the ties and then you have the offerings that go above the ties. And some people will say, well, I'll give to the church, but not this week or not this month because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to you know, this charity over there. But I, I believe like from a biblical standpoint that you've know, you got to give to the place where God has you, you know, to take care of the facility and the individuals that God has on staff for the purposes of ministry for outreach and things like that through the church. That, that belongs to the church. And then if you want to give above and beyond to other places, and then you, know, you put yourself in that place where you can. They say that only 20% of the church gives. Imagine that. Imagine what we could do if everybody gave what they're supposed to. So, I mean, you know, that's between you and the Lord. He will provide for us. But I'm just telling you, if you want to get blessed, and if you want to be more blessed, you know, you begin to understand that it all belongs to God. I remember reading a story about a, a, a grandpa who uh, he would bring uh, uh, candies to his grandsons, little little boys. And so he would bring the, the candies to them and the, the first grandson, he would take the box of candies and he would go up and he would take it and he would run up to his bedroom and he would eat them all up. And he had chocolate all over his face. He was a mess and he was sick. The other little boy it was so cool. What he did is he'd get the, the box of candies from his dad, I mean his grandpa. He'd open, his up, open it up and say, here, grandpa, you first. You, you, you gave it to me, you, and Grandpa, sometimes he'd take one, two, whatever, and then, and then what he would do, he'd go and share it with his friends. One was alone and out of shape. <laughs> the other was flooded with friends and joy, and he looked good. That's the way it is. I mean, some people, they take it, and it's just it's crazy. They spend it all on themselves all on themselves. And I feel sorry for them. God is saying, you know what? Be generous with, you know, give to me, give to the people. You in America, you in America, you don't think you're rich, but there you are with your cell phones and you eat out how, how many times a week and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to make you guys feel guilty because remember, uh, being rich is not a sin. It's not, huh? Money, having money is not a sin. I encourage you, one guy said, make as much as you can and give as much as you can. But just be good stewards of it. You see, we belong to the Lord. And these guys first gave themselves to the Lord. And, you know, by faith, the trials brought joy, the poverty brought generosity. And it says they even gave themselves to Paul. So we urge Titus I'm sorry, verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. 
And so it didn't mean that Paul owned them. It didn't mean, however, that most of them were willing to serve God through this ministry and under the delegated authority of the leadership of this guy, this man named Paul. That's something that the Corinthians were struggling with. We've kind of gone through that. And so, you know, they give themselves to the Lord. They give themselves to the, the church, I guess you could say, in one sense. And uh, some people even say it wasn't just, okay, we'll accept his leadership. Some even say literally it meant that some people from the churches were, were presenting themselves to Paul. It's interesting. When Paul was on his way to Rome as a slave, as a, as a, as a, uh, in chains, because he's going to testify to Caesar Nero, right? He had Luke with him, and he had Aristarchus with him. And you read that in Acts 28, verse 2. And the only way these guys could be with him is if they considered themselves his slaves. So they literally gave themselves to Paul, right? And then later on, we see the same thing with Epaphroditus. These are guys from Philippi. These are guys from Thessalonica. And so it's really cool when you, when you see what happens when the Lord gets a hold of people's hearts. And so we read in closing in verse 6, so we urge Titus that, that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. You know, he just says, hey, we're sending Titus. Titus would be the bearer of 2 Corinthians. We're going to send him to you. And as this whole thing started, now it's time, you know, for you guys to complete this grace as well. And just for me, I, I know uh, I've done research online for places, you know, in the world that where they don't have clean water or you know, you want to give a gift maybe to, you know, gospel for Asia and they, you know, they need a cow or something. You know, it's kind of funny. And a lot of times you'll do their research or you kind of get stirred up and you, you have some good intentions maybe to go visit the guy over there at the 99 cent store that lives right there among the shopping carts or, you know, under the bridge. But you never do. You just never do. And that's where I think a lot of people die. Great intentions, good idea, but they never followed through with the things that God laid on their heart. You know, William Barclay said, The tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high impulses, but we fail to turn them into actions. And so here we see, Paul says, you guys abounded, you overflowed in, in everything. And the Corinthians did. You know, they were a very gifted church. He says they abounded in faith. And imagine that. They had faith to move mountains and to do miracles. That's cool, right? And they abounded in speech. And so they were eloquent speakers, um, probably orthodox when you compare it to the next thing on the list. And they're persuasive. And they knew all the mysteries of the Bible, and they had it all understood. But that, that's not, it's just not enough. Some guys think that's enough. It's not enough. He said, what you have to do is you add to that, really in all diligence is speaking in earnestness, which you need to do now in your love for us. And some people say it's even Paul's love for them. We're not really sure, but it has to do with love. I know that. 
He says, man, make sure that you abound in the grace of giving. I'm telling you what, you guys, if you do, you will be blessed. If you ever want to give, I encourage you to give as God would lead you. Let's let God's grace find that place in our hearts to be a generous people as God has called us to be. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.